Good morning. It is so good to see you and hear you. I heard a young voice uh, chiming in on some of those songs this morning, which is always good to hear the young voices as well, especially when they're uh, uh, under one. (laughs) We know we're doing a good thing there. Uh, And we have a lot of visitors here today, and we're grateful for your presence. It's good to see Sister Ruby West uh, with us, and we're glad she's well uh, to be with us, and it's good to see all of you here this morning. We've had a really busy week, one of the busiest weeks I think we've had in a long time here at the church, doing things, and that's, that's what we want to be doing. We want to be busy about the work, spreading the news, and, and really that's going to be a lot of what I talk about this morning. And our lesson text is from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. The thing that I want us to begin to think about for just a moment today is that sometimes we get so busy in our lives that we we quit contemplating the big questions. And one of those big questions that we have to ask ourselves from time to time that we need to to pause and think about is the question of why. And isn't that an important question? And a lot of times we concern ourselves because life gets so busy with the what, the when, and the where, and the who, but our focus gets off of the why, doesn't it? And, and all of us have to come back because the why of our life is really the center of our life. And if you don't know the answer to why, then, then I want to invite you to begin to think about the question of why for your life. And don't wait to think of the question of why. A lot of times, that question of why, that, that question of meaning, that question of purpose... When something bad happens, when something crazy in our life happens, then all of a sudden we do start asking that question. We ask it incessantly. And so many times I've, I've talked with people that have experienced sorrow and near-death experiences, something profound, and then all of a sudden they're asking that question, why? The purpose, the meaning. What is the meaning to life? What is the purpose to life? And there's so many times we run around and we forget what our why is. One person once said it like this, He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And if you've ever heard of the book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl uses that sentence to really addressed the question of why and what he found living in concentration camps was is that man was looking for more than just survival. That man was looking for something more profound than just getting through the day. He was looking for a why. And what he found was is that those who had a why to their life were able to endure Things that are unspeakable. But the question of why. 
The thing is, is that when we live lives that are bereft of Christ, we live without a why. When we live a life devoid of God, we live a life without that purpose, without that transcendent purpose. You can have a purpose in your life, but is it transcendent to this place and time? And the only way that you can have that transcendent purpose is if it's in a transcendent God. It's so important. You know, I admire the writings of Mark Twain. Mark Twain was was a genius writer. And his moral calibration was sometimes really, really good. If you read Huckleberry Finn... He's got an answer in there for us about not respecting people based on their color, not living in in lives of injustice. But one of the things that's sad about Mark Twain's life is that it wasn't one filled with faith. And I just want to read you an illustration of this. This is a quote from him. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. Sound familiar? They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for a little mean advantage over each other. Age creeps upon them. Infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. They vanish from the world where they they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. That's a life that is devoid of the purpose that we find in Christ. That your life is of little consequence. That there is nothing about your life that will live on. That is a life that is uncentered from the why of Jesus Christ. And what a sad statement that is. But yet there are so many who are so busy, they don't know that that's where they're living. They're living in a why that is of little consequence. And if you look at the story of Ecclesiastes... If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's really the story of Solomon, isn't it? That he's trying to find the why in his life and he goes through and he he wants to find it in power. He wants to find it in pleasure. He wants to find it in books. He wants to find it in glory. He wants to find it in all these things. And what does he find? He finds emptiness, vanity. But then he concludes his book, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Fear God and keep His commandments. That is the whole duty of man. God's purpose for our life. God has a purpose for your life. God has a meaning for your life. And the beautiful thing about that meaning is is that it is transcendent to time. If you put your trust in His will, if you put your trust in His purpose then it is of consequence. It does live on. Because your legacy is one of eternity and not of a day. 
Ephesians says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God beforehand prepared that we should walk therein. We are God's creation. If God created you, then He created you with a purpose. He created you with meaning. We just have to live our lives according to that purpose, don't we? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said it like this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our ultimate purpose, our ultimate why is in Jesus Christ. And what we find is, is that God's great purpose of creation will be fully realized, actualized, consummated, culminated, completed, perfected in His coming. Sometimes it, get, it gets lost from day to day. But when He comes again, when Jesus is seen with the clouds coming again in power, that purpose will be fully realized. That meaning will be fully realized. So I want us to look at Revelations 1 because it gives us a glimpse into what's our outcome. And isn't that a part of purpose that you have to know the outcome, the consequence? If you've got a purpose for your driving, what does that mean? If you're going to get in your car and drive, doesn't that mean you have to have somewhere to go? And so if we want to know what our grand purpose is, we have to know where we're going. And where we're going is that Jesus is coming to this earth again. And I want us to read this. Look at verse 4. John greets them by saying these two words. Grace to you and peace from Him. Grace and peace. Aren't those some of the most beautiful words that you'll ever hear? Grace. And when we're Christians, when we're following Christ, we begin to see our lives and our world through the lens of grace. And that changes everything. Because when we see our lives and when we see the world through the lens of grace, it has a profound effect on us as people that all of a sudden now, it's not about my accomplishment. It's not about my works. It's about what Christ has done. It's about His grace. And so many times in church, in Christianity, humility has been thrown out the doors. We make it about what we've achieved and what we've accomplished. And, and, and living a life that's faithful to God is a great achievement, but it's ultimately one of grace. One of the things that illustrates this, and you might have heard it, is that poem that's called, When I Say I'm a Christian. And sometimes I'll read it, different people will post this, but I want to read it to you because it's about the grace of God and about the humility that we need to have in our lives as Christians. Listen to these words. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting, I've been saved. I'm whispering, I get lost sometimes, that's why I chose this way. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak with human pride. I am confessing that I stumble needing God to be my God. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and pray for strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I failed and cannot 
ever pay the debt. When I say I am a Christian, I don't think I know it all. I submit to my confusion, asking humbly to be taught. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible. Hello? But God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartache, which is why I seek God's name. When I say I'm a Christian, I do not wish to judge. I have no authority. I only know I am loved. When we begin to see that our lives in the the light of His grace, it changes everything. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That whatever I have, that whatever I've achieved, it's all because of God's grace. So how can I take any credit or look at someone else in a diminished fashion? I can't, can I? He also says peace. Because the grace of God brings that peace, doesn't it? That peace that I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, Jesus says, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Grace and peace. It also describes Jesus. It says, who is, who was, and who is to come. Jesus is different from all of us. Jesus was different from His disciples. Jesus is divine. He is different in the sense that He was with God from the very beginning. Even before the beginning, He was with God. It says in Philippians that Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He said in John chapter 17, And now, O Father, glorify me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Jesus is. Jesus is just as God, Jehovah, revealed to, to Moses, I am that I am that I exist, I am God, Jesus exists. Who was? That Jesus entered our time, entered our world, and lived among us. The Apostle John says it like this, that which from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. But He also is to come. Not only is He is and was, He is to come. John in Revelation also describes the work of Jesus. Look, look with me at verse 5. And it gives this description of what Jesus has done on earth. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. The first description of Jesus, it says, is that He is faithful. That He was a faithful witness to God. That when Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, He was a faithful witness to to the truth. And when you come to Jesus' teachings, you come to the truth. If you remember, when he stood before Pilate in John chapter 18, he says, For this cause came I into the earth, to the world, to bear witness of the truth, and those who are of the truth hear my voice. Jesus is a faithful witness to the truth. 
So our attempts here today is to hear His voice, to hear His Word, because He's faithful in it. It also says that He is the firstborn from the dead. And that gives me hope. Because Jesus' resurrection represents to you and me what the future holds. Charles Spurgeon once said that a six-foot hole makes all men equal. But there's one guy that didn't play by those rules. Six-foot hole makes all men equal, but there's one person who didn't remain in a tomb. So not all men are equal based on death, are they? And it's through Jesus Christ's resurrection that we have eternal life. And there's no other teacher. There's no other prophet. There's no other theologian. There's no other philosopher. There's no other person on earth that has been raised from the dead in the way that Jesus was raised from the dead. He lives even now. It also says that He loved us. The work of Christ is one of love. And that He loved us even when we weren't at our best. But Christ loved us even while we were yet sinners, it says in Romans 5, verse 8. And He cleansed us in His own blood. Because our sins, because we were in need, because there were deficits, because there was sin, we needed the cleansing blood of Christ. And He has purchased us with His blood. It also describes something very amazing that happened in verse 6 as a result of the work of Jesus and His church. Look at verse 6. And has made us kings and priests to His God and the Father. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. What happens as a result of seeing the grace of Christ to seeing the work on the cross is that it transforms us. It transforms us into His kingdom. It transforms us into priests. And you can get no better picture than that of the early disciples. They were ordinary guys. But they were transformed by Jesus Christ, by His grace and by their faith in Him. A fisherman became a grand influencer. Those ordinary men were transformed and the power of God is still evident today that God can take our broken lives. God can take my measly efforts and transform them into great works. But it's all about His purpose. It's all about His transformation. And then it says, Behold, He is coming. That's That's the outcome. No matter what, He's coming. So, now I want you to think about that why. If He's coming, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, we've had visitors here. We had visitors come Thursday, and guess where I found Gina Wednesday night? She was in a t-shirt preparing the church building for guests. Why? Because she knew someone was coming. She knew that there was an outcome that was going to happen. There was a consequence. We've all had company, haven't we? And when you got company, sometimes that's the only time you get your house cleaned up, right? 
Sometimes I just invite people over so I can get the house cleaned up. So what do you think that tells us about our why? Here in this church, here in our lives, that if you know someone's coming, then that means I need to have my house in order. If someone's coming, this church needs to be in order. If Jesus is coming, I need to have my house in order because why is He coming? He's not coming to save us because He's already offering that. He's coming to judge the world, it says in Matthew 25, 37, that all nations will stand before Him. All nations. And He will judge them. He's coming to deliver the kingdom of God to His Father. He's coming to destroy the last enemy, which is death. He's coming to bring all things under subjection. He's coming to bring final reconciliation of God's people with God. So I don't know about you, but that means I got a big why to do. That means I got to get ready. That means I have to be prepared. And so the purpose of the church and the purpose of our lives is to get this world ready for His coming. To be prepared for His coming because every eye will see Him. And it says the trumpet will sound and He will descend And we will hear the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise. That's a grand purpose, isn't it? To get this world ready. So why hasn't He come? Well, we're not ready. This world isn't ready. In fact, it says in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. It's not because He's slacking on His end that He hasn't come. He says, but He desires that all men come to repentance. When Jesus comes again, He wants as many people saved as can be saved. He wants as many people in His church and in His kingdom as He can get. So what are we to do? We're to have our lights be burning. There's a story told that John F. Kennedy used to tell on his, on his uh, presidential campaign of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. And, and one day on May 19, 1780, they looked out the windows and they saw these ominous dark clouds approaching their meeting. And so some of the men in the room got scared. They said, well, let's, let's call this thing off. This may be the end of the world. That was even uttered. And Davenport stood up and he said this, the day of judgment is either approaching or it's not. If it's not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that the candles be brought. If it's the end of the world... I want to be found doing the work of the Lord. Don't you? There's an old song, Let Me Go Down in My Footsteps. I want to be about the work of the Lord. And if He doesn't come today, then we still got work to do. Either way, 
There's something for us to do here, isn't there? So today I want you to renew that purpose, that why in your life to be about the Father's business, to keep your lamp burning, to keep worshiping, to keep obeying, to keep things into perspective, to keep that hope alive that's only found in Christ. Because He is who was and who is to come. As sure as He lived on this earth, He will come again. And where will we be found? Today, the life of a Christian is a life of faith. To begin it is to begin in faith. To see Jesus for who He is. That He is the great I Am. That He is the Son of the living God. That He does speak with authority and that we should listen to Him. That we should obey Him. And if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. To repent of our sins. To turn from sin. The things that destroy our lives, that destroy our families, that destroy our community. To turn from those things and to turn to Him. To confess Him to be the Son of the living God. If we confess Him before men, He will confess us before His Father who is in heaven. And lastly, to be immersed or baptized into His body, the church. For as many of you have been baptized, have put on Christ, it says in Galatians 3. And let me tell you, this Sunday we have the baptistry ready. (laughs) So we're prepared for your coming, if that's what you need. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning that just desires to be encouraged, desires the prayers, desires to repent. Whatever that need is, this church wants to encourage you. We're going to sing this next song as a song of encouragement. And so if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.